Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at a time. This episode of The Read-Along is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you're choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits who are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more right now now at parkpower.ca. Welcome to a new year. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. Last time we recorded, it was pre-pre the holidays. <laughs> and now this time we're recording, it's post-holiday. Yeah. So, Just one post. Yeah. So uh, we can safely say it was it was a pretty okay holidays. Yeah. Christmas was nice. We got to see some family. New Year's was nice. We ate so much food. Over Christmas and New Year's both. So much yeah. food. You're, you're not on a diet over the holidays. Yeah, you shouldn't be. No. It's just, it's... You're just torturing yourself. It's not a thing. And uh, you, you want to enjoy the holidays. Yeah. Generally speaking, so... Like, you don't have to go overboard. No. But you go back on your diet in January. <laughs> or you start a new one in January. Either way. Resolutions and all. But one thing that you can continue to do through the holidays is read. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you have been reading because we've got a whole new chapter raring to go here. Woo-hoo. So a brief recap of chapter 15 of our novel in which everyone gets captured in an <laughs> obvious ambush in which they get ambushed. Mm-hmm. And uh, they all get tussled up by a bunch of dwarves and thrown in the back of carts being pulled by borsts <laughs> and uh, whisked away by the team of Tess Selvacan. And that is where we find everybody as we head into chapter 16 of Questland by Carrie Vaughn. Borst is still such a terrible name. So we arrive at Tess Salvacan's headquarters. <laughs> Which is a mountain. Yeah, it's a dwarf fortress. We're yeah. back at the dwarf fortress. We're back at the dwarf fortress. And uh, it's pretty impressive. Everybody's... Mouths are agape. Arthur is clearly impressed that she's managed to uh, dig out a mountain, which, of course, she will later confess most of it is 3D printed. Well, no, no, no. I think the mountain was dug out, but all of the like intricate stonework is printed. Yeah, none of it's you can't, real engraving. You can't print out a mountain. I don't think it works well, that a lot way. Of, a lot of the interiors are printed, but that's yeah. we find that out later when, when Tess has a little tete-a-tete with yeah. Uh, Addie. But uh, before then, Tess gets everyone out of the carts. Addie actually has a moment where she ruins the magic for herself <laughs> because she's seen Arthur turn off the people of Firstashur. She actually wonders, oh, I wonder, are those wargs going to be taken to a pen where they're stored or do they just like switch them off? Yeah, when do they're they just not turn off their, their wargs at the end of the day? Because a little bit of the magic is starting to like fade for her because she's seeing a lot of how the sausage is made. Yeah, well, because she's not part of the game anymore yeah. at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. She's now starting to see 
the underworkings, if you will, mm-hmm. of the island. And yes, as impressive as everything is, the magic is being ruined. A little bit, yeah. She is seeing how the sausage is made. Yeah, and that's never great. I, I disagree, but that's just me. So once again, Arthur tries to parlay with Tess and is like, listen, we can put our heads together. We can help these guys out because they're here to help Harris Lang. And Tess isn't hearing any of it. She's like, I don't trust you. I don't trust them. I don't trust anybody. So no, the answer is no, basically. Basically? For the time being, you're our prisoners. And that's how things are. Arthur's not super happy with that and neither really is Torres but Torres at the very least is like I do still have a message for you from Harris Lang yeah which Tess does retrieve and then she kind of picks out Addie right out of the lineup and is like listen you don't belong here (laughs) you don't belong here you're not with Arthur's team because I know Arthur's team this group of mercenaries are all hardened soldiers and you're not one of them so what's up with you before Addie really has a chance to explain Arthur jumps in with that's Addie Cox and Tess is once again like backpedaling that facade cracks for a second because uh. she's, for a moment, it's almost like she's starstruck. <laughs> like, wait, you're the Addie Cox? The one that Dominic always talks about? And Addie's like, surely he doesn't always talk about me. And Tess fills in something that Arthur hadn't previously, which is that apparently Addie was the barometer by which Dominic made all all of his decisions. And in design meetings and such, he would always be like, no, Addie wouldn't like that. Yes, that's the way Addie would do it. We should do it this way because that's what Addie would expect. It's This was Addie's favorite thing. It's all been about her. And you had actually said this a couple chapters ago on the podcast. Yes, I know. Where you had said, you know, in a different context, I think Addie would be flattered. And right now in this context, Addie is both horrified and flattered. Right? In equal measure. Because it's really sweet. He's trying to do this all for her, right? He is, to him, to to Dominic, Addie is the pinnacle. She's the perfect nerd. Yeah. (laughs) He is trying to impress her or or the idea of her, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure. We haven't met Dom yet. Yeah. But that is equal parts very sweet, mm-hmm. right? Because, wow, you're doing this all for me? How flattering. And horrifying because this is her ex-boyfriend. And it's very stalker behavior. Oh, it's so wrong. We're going to put a pin in this because I want to come back to it at the end. Uh, because oh, I imagine we're going to come back to this a bunch of times through this book now. Probably, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hypothesize something towards the end of the chapter. Very good. Tess is like, all right, so for now, we're all going to sit tight. I at least need tonight to think on things and to check this message out from Harris Lang. So, Also, at this point, I believe it's quite late in the day. Yeah, so we're all going to have a snooze. <laughs> Arthur and your team, you're going to be taken to like the West Wing. Over on the East Wing, we're going to be sending Torres and his team. Addie Cox, you're with me. And Torres immediately gets defensive on this. In fact, Addie is a little surprised at how defensive he gets on this. And oh, what I can think of. Myriad reasons why. Yeah, and he's like, sit tight, you know, we've got this, as he's being led away. He gives he gives Addie kind of that reassuring look, like, it'll be okay. And it does kind of reassure her. Right. Because he seems very competent. Well, also, he is responsible for her. Yeah. And her being taken away by someone else is concerning. Now, Tess does make a point of dripping poison in Addie's ear about Torres in this chapter, which I think is interesting and very telling of her character. Mm-hmm. Because she is... If Arthur is paranoid, Tess is hyper paranoid. Oh my God, yes. And she actually explains this to Addie as they're making their way to the solar, the library, <laughs> wherever it is that they have a little a yeah. little get together. That Harris Lang 
And this is, again, information that Arthur wasn't really forthcoming with. And I think it's because Tess is more tired of Harris Lang than Arthur is. And she's like, he's hyper paranoid about this project. Super hyper paranoid. That's why all the information goes through him. Because he can't even let the three design heads get together and talk about the island without him being in the room. Yep. Because he's afraid we're going to steal it from him or something. Like, I don't know. But that's proliferated through everybody else. No one trusts anybody on the island. Mm Mm-hmm. Because Harris Lang doesn't trust them. So <laughs> because he's a bad businessman. Like <laughs> like it turns out, most billionaires are. Who knew? Yeah. Okay. So what's happened here is that the paranoia runs like we knew it ran deep. It runs bone deep with Tess. It after we met Tess, I realized it runs so much deeper than we even thought. Yeah. And we thought it ran pretty deep. So what Lang has done here is he's created like an isolated civilization, for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. where he has put all these policies in place that causes people the same kind of paranoia that he is experiencing, Mm -hmm. right? So what that's done, though, is turn all of these people against each other, right? And so now everyone behaves like him, super duper paranoid. Which is actually really bad for getting this park built. It's it's one thing for one person to be super paranoid. Yeah. It's one thing for a lot of people to exist like that. This whole thing is going to crumble. Well, and further to that, one of the reasons Tess wants to sit on what's going on is because, and I kind of glazed over this, well, she and Arthur are talking at the beginning of the chapter. She confirms that 10 Coast Guard sailors are dead. And is like, so there's going to be criminal charges for someone at the end of this. Right. And that's clearly not making her super keen on seeing this situation resolved. Yeah. I because, talk but a the problem bit. is the longer it gets drawn out, the worse it's going to be. I know. And Harris Lang's message for her also, she cut it off real early because he started to talk like About there was something. something going on. Right. And Addie caught, Addie caught on to it. Of course so. she did. It was super obvious. Yeah. But so. Rightly so, right? Because we as readers need to know what's going on. Yeah. The whole conversation between Arthur and Tess. Remember I said before Arthur's not telling us everything? Oh, yeah. There's even more that people aren't telling us. Yeah. Right? Like, there's so many little hints about all of this. There's there's some story involving this island that we're not being told yet. Yeah. Which leads me to believe that maybe Dominic is going to tell it to us. And he, by maybe? the way, definitely knows Addie's on the island and has since at least the Sphinx encounter. Probably. Because it turns out all of those statues are security devices. Right? We and, were right. And the person who's surveilling with them is, in fact, Dominic Brand. I think. Tess Probably. Certain, Tess 100% believes that he's the one who's using them as his eyes because he's the one who's been installing them. Oh, and right. And Tess basically straight up tells Arthur that, like, you idiot, you still have that giant statue in your town square. Dominic knows everything you do. And it explains why that statue at the castle was smashed. That would have been Tess's team who did that, almost certainly. Probably. We can we can surmise that at this point. Mm-hmm. I had uh, posited last time that maybe Harris Lang was using them to watch, but Tess seems to believe that it's Dominic who's using it. So, yeah. And, and I, I have no reason to disbelieve her at this point. Honestly, I don't know what's going to happen when we leave this particular realm. I assume we're going to go into the realm of Arrow where we assume Dominic is, but I genuinely don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, and we don't know if he's the one in control of the island at all. No. What we do know from Tess is that control of the island is largely automated through one ring, because of course it is. Because of course it is. There is there is one ring that rules the island, and... It's possible that Addie has it. And it's possible that Dominic has it. The It's also possible it was never made. 
Also that's, possible. That's something that Tess points out is a lot of the technology that they're using is camouflaged as like magic items. Yeah. She even demonstrates some rope tricks using quote unquote telekinesis, but it's all just through rings. Yeah. And apparently the plan was always that there would be a master control ring to run the island. Well, she and having it be a ring seems very nerd appropriate, yeah, right? The And it explains the ring on the cover of the book as well. Yeah. But she doesn't know if it was ever actually built because, again, there's no communication between the three teams. Nope. So her team didn't build it. We can surmise Arthur's team probably didn't build it. So that means that possibly Dominic's team built it. Well, that would make sense. And it is possible that Addie Cox has that ring. You know why? Because she found it? Because... Because he set it up for her to find? Because he's known she's been on the island since the Sphinx encounter. Mm -hmm. And they walked their way right up to... A statue? The labyrinth. Yeah. And the Eldritch Eldritch statue where she found the ring. So it's entirely possible that Dominic planted the ring in her path if he's been able to keep track of her so far. Which means then that Dominic is not the one in charge that we're looking at... This is where I'm going to pull out that pin. All right. Because I think we've, we've built up to it. Hypothesis. I think I know where you're going. New hypothesis. I think I know where you're going. Tell me. What if Dominic Brand has stolen the island for Addie? That's not what I thought you were going to say, but it's also very good. He's been purposefully making sure that the island is built to her specifications. He believes that he needs to be her hero to take her away from her terrible life and put her into a beautiful fantasy. So he steals the magic island from Harris Lang to give to Addie Cox. He's, go- he's giving her control of the island. In that case, he is... A crazy person. Completely mad. Oh, absolutely. Completely mad. Hypothesis. That's bonkers. But it's a hypothesis. This is what I thought you were going to say. Oh. Um, that we're looking at the robot overlord situation, mm-hmm. and he needs Addie to save them. I mean, that's also possible. But in my case, I think it's possible he just stole an enchanted fantasy island for his ex-girlfriend who's into magical fantasy Somehow stuff. yours is more horrifying. <laughs> like, the concept of that is just terrifying to me. All of this to, what, get back his girlfriend? Or to do right by her in his own weird way. Oh, honey, no. Oh, oh, just no. Just, oh. Anyway. There's very scant evidence that this is the case. Oh, it's going to break but my there's, brain. But there's enough circumstantial evidence now. The fact that he's possibly the person looking through the statue eyes. The fact that she did find a mysterious ring. And now she has a Triforce, too. Yeah. The fact that he's been funneling the design in a way that she would find perfectly pleasing, which, by the way, might be why she's been so impressed with the island so far. Yeah, it makes sense. Because it's right up her alley. I wonder if Tess has a Triforce piece. Possibly. We might find out. Anyway. What Tess does have is some mead, but unfortunately no tea still. Uh, still no tea. Poor Leads Eddie. me to believe that Dominic is going to have tea when they get to the elf place. but <laughs> And she'll finally have her tea, but it'll be with the one person she doesn't want to have tea with. It'll be the worst tea ever. Also, I think Tess made, I don't know, I don't know if I would call it a mistake. Tess would probably call it a mistake. Locking Torres and his team up together. Tess admits to Addie at one point, because Addie like, tells her after she takes Torres' team away, like, you're making a mistake. And Tess is like, yeah, seems like every decision I've made since I've arrived on this island has been a mistake, so that wouldn't be. <laughs> that tracks. Just, I, I can't help but feeling like they're going to just A-team it. Because oh, she said, right, no ropes, but lock the door, right? So they're all free well, in a Addie's, locked room, but... Addie's not even free in a locked room. She's free in an unlocked room at the oh, end of this chapter. let's not even go there yet. Okay, so she's locked up Arthur's team. They're probably going to sit tight. Yeah, Arthur's team, Arthur's team, 
the the Mary Band and Arthur don't really have any reason to try to break out. No. They're probably just going to sit tight and behave like good. But Torres' team is going to act like a group of mercenaries led by a Navy SEAL who need to get back their right? charge. And when I said Tess drips poison in her ear, it's because she's like, you think that Torres is like looking out for you? Because I guarantee that the information that Harris Lane gave you was not the information that he gave Torres. Oh, yeah. But we, we posited that ages ago. Yeah, but it really sinks in for Addie here because, again, Arthur and Tess and it seems Dominic weren't getting the same information from not. Harris Lang. So this is Tess trying to separate Addie from them, I feel. Like to, to test her loyalty, to try to lure her over. I'm not sure why, though. Because she wants Sadie Cox in her pocket so that she can use her as a bargaining chip against Dominic. Because the paranoia runs super deep, right? Yeah. Of course. <gasps> because that's the way Tess is operating right now, is super paranoid. Super paranoid. Like a terrifying amount of paranoid. Yeah, she even tries to impress Addie by purposefully taking her to the library where she can like run her hands over the books. Yeah. Like Tess is trying to win Addie over in the last part of this chapter. I think so. And I and I'm I guarantee it's because she wants Addie to be her ace in the hole, mm-hmm. not Torres's ace in the hole. I don't think it's gonna work out that way for Tess. I know. I, I think, think Addie so. trusts Torres a lot more than she trusts Tess. Probably. A lot more than she trusts any woman who says, I crossed an item off my bucket list, which was to release my flying monkeys. <laughs> Just saying. Okay. That is a pretty awesome thing, though, <laughs> right? Like, I can imagine Tess standing there being like, fly, my pretties, and just getting a ridiculous amount of satisfaction out of that. You know, one of those, oh, I've always wanted to do that moments. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot to digest in this chapter, even if there's not a lot of action in yeah. this chapter. Oh, I have an entire page of questions in my notes about everything in this chapter. There was so much to take in. There's so much to unpack, even though not a lot happened, mm-hmm. because like, we get, action-wise. Because we get some real tangible information. Oh, we get so much stuff. And I have, I have so many thoughts, <laughs> especially stemming from our earlier conversation a few episodes ago about how this is terrible theme park design. Yep. This continues to be really terrible theme park design. Yep. Even the idea that Dom is trying to tailor the island for Addie is a terrible idea. Yeah, you don't- Theme park-wise. You don't want to build a theme park for an audience of one. Right? Unless you're planning to steal that theme park for them, I'm just saying. I, I Okay. <laughs> That's different. We all know Tess is clearly guilty of something, right? Based on the conversation. She but also, I don't know what. She also like really intimates kind of how much of a of a believer she is in like the project and the magic behind it and such. Like she's she believes in the project, even if she's suspicious of Lang, oh. even if she doesn't trust the other design heads, she's all in. She didn't and, question that Kool-Aid, she drank it right away. And she the implication is like, I don't think Tess Selvacan wants to go home. I think she's happy where she is as Queen of the Dwarves. Quite possibly. And I don't know that I can necessarily say the same thing for Arthur. I don't know that I can say the same thing for Dominic because we haven't met him yet. But I get the impression that Tess Selvacan would very much like to stay Queen queen of of her little pond. Maybe. She'd like to be the biggest fish in that little pond. Maybe. But is that desire or is that conditioning? Because she's been living this life now for how long? Or is that necessity because there's something terrible waiting for her back at home? Maybe. Yeah. Right? We don't really know. We've been baited, but we have no info. Yeah. Right? So I can only make crazy assumptions. Other questions? Oh, so many other questions. Um, Okay. This all goes back to more of the theme park design, right? Because if Harris Lang's big idea is this wonderful touristy island, Mm -hmm. right? 
Um, <sighs> he's not doing a very good job of it, right? To build it as a tourist attraction. Because mm-hmm. if this is how the people that work there treat each other, how are they going to treat paying guests when they get there? This is, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step back and make an assumption here. I think Harris Lang has every intention of coming to live on this island when it opens. So he's going to be the king here sure. when it's open. Sure. So he's it's going to be different because he's always going to be present. Yes, but is it going to be different worse or different better? That's hard to say. Plus, I mean, the people who are currently making the island aren't the people who are going to necessarily be running it. Aren't they? I think that maybe on some level some of them might still be involved, but like... Tess's engineering team won't be building the island at that point. If Tess is still head of engineering, she's going to be maintaining it, maybe adding new attractions from time to time. Arthur will probably be delegated to some sort of like bureaucratic role, like an administrator of some kind. Who knows what Dominic would end up being? No. He might be shipped off to something else. Might resent it a great deal, actually. Maybe. Tess talks a lot about how the island is designed to be self-sufficient. Yeah. Right? They're growing their own food. All that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. They're using their own materials. Which is why I think Harris Lang intended to use it as an escape. Maybe. I don't think it's necessarily just supposed to be for tourists. But here's where Nita's practical brain kicks in and just puts the story aside for a minute. Mm-hmm. Can that island produce enough food, A, to feed all the people that work there, B, to feed all the people that are going to visit there, and C, provide enough variety of food to accommodate all those people? No. I'm under the impression that once you get to the critical mass of people who are going to be on the island, you will need to import some stuff, but you can cut down on that with some of the substance stuff. Which is fine, but that is not the same as being entirely self-sufficient. No. It is currently self-sufficient for now, but that's because there's, what, 70 people on the island. I'm willing to bet it's sufficient to a point. Yeah. Right? There might be practical applications that haven't been brought into effect, but the park is also not running, so we haven't encountered these difficulties yet. It's true. I'm just surprised that no one has thought of that. Because these people are here to build a fantasy world, and what they should be here to do is build a theme park. A very expensive, detailed, fancy, fancy, fancy theme park. They're not doing that. No, they're building a fantasy world, and you're right. And that is actually the design directive from Harris Lang. Yeah. They were never building a theme park. They were building a fantasy world. And I think that that points back to Harris Lang's intention of retreating into this fantasy world. He wanted them to build him a fantasy world that other people could visit. Mm, I still don't like it. And now Dominic Brand has stolen it to give it to Addie. Probably. So that she can have a fantasy world to retreat into. Not even probably. Possibly. Yeah. At this point, it's quite probable that you're right. Mm. But I don't know. Could still be an evil robot overlord. We don't know. How do you get Westworld? You build <laughs> you build first assure. That's how you get That's Westworld. That's how you get Westworld. For guys who are like that, you don't want a Westworld, they sure built an adorable little animal village. <laughs> sure is adorable. And my last great big question is what is Tess up to with the way this chapter ended? She gives Addie her own room, doesn't lock the door. And just leaves her alone to her own devices. I mean, Tess might be wanting to see what Addie does, but it's also possible she just made a mistake by trusting her not to leave her room. It's possible that Addie's room is guarded, but unlocked. We don't know. I don't know. And it's also possible that Tess is extending some trust because, again, Tess is trying to win Addie Addie over. over. I know. There are too many possibilities. I don't know what Tess is playing at. 
All I know is that she's super paranoid. Well, perhaps we'll find out what she's playing at as we move into the next chapter. Yes. Which is chapter 17, which you'll want to read up on in time for next week. In the meantime, you know, here at the Alberta Podcast Network, there are many, many great podcasts. We mention it at the end of every episode, but rarely do we actually highlight one of them. And we're going to do that right now. The podcast you're listening to is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. My name is Kyle, and I'm the host of Putting It Together. From a very early age, I've been obsessed with musical theater. And in particular, I've adored the music of composer Stephen Sondheim. So I decided to create a podcast where I invite on a new guest each week and go through each one of his productions, show by show and song by song. You'll learn about theater history, you'll laugh, maybe cry, but always you'll be swept up in the music. It's called Putting It Together and it's available anywhere you get podcasts. So yeah, you'll want to check them out and all of the other great podcasts right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. You can download those podcasts on your podcatcher of choice while you're there. That's probably where you're catching our pod. What? You don't Madness. say. I know. Uh, you can give us a little rating and review. That definitely helps us out. And we do appreciate it. We do. We would show our appreciation over social media Absolutely. if you let us know that you had done it. <laughs> 100%. We are currently on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Goodreads. You can find us at any of those. We are at the Read Along on most of them. Yeah. Or just look for the Read Along, a mini book club for your ears on Goodreads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can also reach out to us via email. Yes, we are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Wonderful world, terrible theme park. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.